No, it, I, I think, um, and I see this also, you know, I, I'm now giving trainings in, in the National Police Academy uh, to, the, to the candidates who are, are becoming commissioners and head commissioners and, and head inspectors. Um, and we have been trained from the pyramid, right? From, from thinking like we, are, we have to be on top of people. We have to tell them what to do and how to do it micromanage and be in control of everything have a good span of control because otherwise we will lose our our power um and it's actually that's that's what i keep saying also to 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 these candidates and to everybody who wants to start even thinking about uh, having a transformation is that it starts with you it starts with the person who wants to instigate this look in the mirror first and tell, ask yourself if you want to be the best, if you can be the best version of yourself. Ask yourself a lot of questions. What do I really want? What is my mission? What are my values, my personal values? Uh, why do, what do I want to, uh, how do I want to serve? What is there that uh, society or, or the com my community needs that I can help towards? If that has, has the good answers, and you are convinced that that is what you want to do. That is that is your passion. That is what you. That's that that becomes your mission. Your ikigai, the, the Japanese call it. Then you can make a go of it. And still, it's going to be hard work. I can tell you it. I, I've I've done it. I've tried it myself, and I went flat on my face. Um, some things work, and something some things didn't work. And and um, you, but you learn from that. And the thing is, once you are convinced of what I'm just saying, your own ikigai, your own passion, your own, we can do this together. If you strongly believe in this, you never give up. Even going on your face, even having the most setbacks that you can have, um, you still never will give up. Hi, Erin. How are you? Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time. Now, Erin, um, I've met you five years ago. Um, but I'm going to ask another question first. Corona. What is actually the... You're working for the Federal Police again. What is actually the impact of Corona on you, on your job? Well... It has had a big, a big influence on the way we work together at this moment in time because we were always asked to come to the, to the to Brussels to to Atherbeek, where the headquarters of our National Police Academy is, and um, we could already work from home two days a week, yeah. but it couldn't be. It wasn't. It wasn't structured. You you had to choose yourself when that would be possible, and it had to be. It had had to have a reason. So now all of a sudden everybody. All the, all the trainers, all the people from the, from the offices uh, work from home mostly. Um, only when, when really necessary, they, they go to the office. So that's a, that has had a big impact on, on our way of working. But we kept on working. We kept on developing our training programs uh, online. We have adopted um, in a big way the, the distant learning. Okay. methods and etc etc so we we are now using the technology in a big way to train our candidates um, who are, are there to to have a training of course the only thing of course we will see develop have to develop is the the practical trainings like uh, yeah of course um, ftxs and stuff like that so okay uh, but um, you know it has had a, a big impact on on my job of course um, and I'm still working from home at this moment in time. I'm and still giving lessons to the, to the um, candidates, uh, officers, senior officers uh, online. So. And then more from a high level, more from a, what we call it, spiritual, philosophical level on the human being. What do you think is going to be the impact of Corona? On well, I think it, it has actually given us a chance to slow down. You know, a lot of people were inside the rat race. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're they're sort of obliged to to have more quality time with their families, have uh, work from home, and and divide their their time between being home and and working, trying to find a balance, which is not not easy in in, in a lot of cases. I think if you have children, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it might not all, always be easy. 
Um, but I think it, it makes people think on how we can actually evolve towards different ways of, of working. You know, mm -hmm. it has had a good impact on our environment. It has had a good impact on our traffic jams. Um, you know, I, 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 I've, um, I, my girlfriend works in, in Brussels, so I sometimes have to drive her to, to her working place. And on, on Monday morning, for instance, there's hardly any traffic, you know? So it's, it's a wonderful thing that we can actually see how it sort of resolves the, the, the traffic jams and the density of, of things. Um, and I think if this might be a period that people can really um, start thinking about the, evolving towards a more maybe human human-centered way of, of living together you know sort of going back to our uh, tribal ways of doing yeah, things yeah but and then with the technology of course yeah 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 so you believe that we are not going to go back to the old normal there's going to be a new normal well let's say i hope not and i think there will of course be new normals necessary because uh -huh. even if you look at it now the way we will go to shops the way we, we, we communicate with each other, the way we, we even, I, of course it's hard when you visit your family not to be able to hug them and give them a kiss. And, and you know, um, on Sunday it was my, my grandson's birthday and I went there to, to have a piece of cake, but I couldn't even hug him and kiss him. No. Um, that's hard, of course, but we will get used to that at a certain moment in time. Um, and hopefully that kind of the thing, that kind of thing will go away. We will be able to to hug and kiss again our loved ones. Um, on the other hand, it I, I, it might also trigger the more respect for each other because that's what I saw in the especially in the first days of lockdown, for instance, a lot of hoarding, a lot of people, um, you know, let's say almost fighting for goods, mm -hmm. which is totally selfish and totally not done, you would say. But I think people mellowed down at this moment in time and a lot of respect for people uh, in shops and in the care set sector and yep. etc has has risen uh, now also all of a sudden we, we start realizing what these people mean for us you know it's it's thanks to this these these sectors that we can still yep. live in a normal way so to speak you know, yeah, and we took we took them for granted for years exactly exactly so i think that will hopefully become the new normal and and i see good signs that this will happen you, know. you, you are also if i'm correct um, involved in the post-corona movement i was i was i i sort of because of of the things with my job i had to let it go um also because of, of some internal discussions we had and and i wished yeah. everybody good luck and okay. let's say um the the start the start of it was was i was invited and, and i was uh, uh, trying to to set up things together with other people about culture and about uh, our values. Let's say to start with the why first, as, as uh, Simon Sinek calls it. Um, some other people were very eager to go, go, go and, and do, uh, you know, action, uh, have action uh, organized. So I said, uh, well, if we, for me, this is not the right way to do it. I wish you all the good, the best yeah, of luck, okay. but I'm sort of getting out of this. And uh, so they're still going on and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of still following it, uh, but I'm not in, no, no longer involved. Okay, in okay, okay, okay. Now, um, I think more than five years ago, I've met you in, uh, in Ghent and you were actually, and still for me, you are one of the, the Belgian national faces of um, self leading organization which then called the uh, teal movement but also uh, one of your big idols and also one of my big inspirators is uh, ricardo sandler um mm. he's also by the way guitar player so he's uh, one of the good yes. <laughs> Indeed, <yeah. laughs> um now where does that passion come from about the the self leading the self steering teams where does that yeah, that comes from a long, long way back. You know, I, I entered the police force in um, eighty, um, in first of April, and it wasn't a, um, an April Fool's Day um, or, or joke. I mean, um, I entered the police force in Bruges, and um, after a while, you sort of start thinking of of how people are interacting with each other. Already back then, as a young policeman. 
I was sort of kind of a rebel. I was sort of kind of a, a person who didn't agree with the fact that our bosses, who probably didn't know any better, mm-hmm. and I can't blame them for that, you know, it's how the way we are, we are sort of educated and raised, but how they looked down on us and, and told us with the finger, if you don't do this and if, so I always had like this feeling like this is not, not right, you know. So I, I sort of started talk, talking about this to my colleagues and they always said, okay, you know, you, you, you might be right, but we can't do anything about it. So I, I, begged, I begged to differ at that moment in time. And that's the reason why I became a senior officer, why I started studying and, and became a criminologist. And then afterwards I became a senior officer because in the position that you are, in the lower position, the lower ranks, you indeed have no power or, or mm-hmm. empowerment to do anything. Yeah. Um, but even as a senior officer, I felt that I was just part of the whole game. You know, it was like I couldn't still trigger enough people to with my ideas, which I already had back then. So I was always looking for for different uh, insights and different ideas, even even as a young senior officer trying to do things differently with my own departments that I led. Um, which of course is not easy, I will tell you that, because you have different kinds of people and you have to sort of try and, and mellow that and that's not, not very easy. Um, but I kept digging and I kept digging and I think it was the 1st of May 2000 and now I have to think, now 2010 or 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this program uh, on, uh, on, on, actually it was the, the Belgian television, an extraction of the Dutch program on Ricardo Sammer, mm-hmm. which was called the Kapitale Kracht van Geluk in the Tegenlecht uh, episode. And I, when I saw this story, I was like, see, I've always, I've always had these ideas and this guy has done it, right? So I was really, eager to find out more about this guy. So I bought his two books, read them in about three weeks time. Um, and I also, of course, looked at the, the bigger pick, the bigger program and, and also other uh, YouTube videos and, and whatever I could find on, on this guy. Um, so, um, you know, I, I sort of, let's say I deepened myself into his, into his mm-hmm. insights, into his uh, ideas, his principles. And I started giving lectures on that, which was okay. not done in Belgium or even in Holland for, for, for I even my, I think my second or my third uh, lecture on that was in Eindhoven. So, and they had never heard of it, of Samuel either. Um, but then of course it became bigger. And I, the, the first time I met him was in 2014 when, when he came to Nieuwegein. And how was that meeting him? Because if I would, I was going to meet like, uh, Jimi Hendrix or Eric Clapton, I sometimes I'm a little afraid of Nile Rogers eh? or uh, David Gilmour. I would be afraid meeting my heroes yeah. because... Well, it was, it was sort of, uh, he's a very charismatic person. He's very, but he's also very integral and very authentic. So he immediately, because I tried to, to go to him to sign, to have my book signed, you know, and I also, also was one of, uh, I think, 50 people who were, um, who ha- who were allowed closer to him to have a little chat. Mm-hmm. But in group. So when I when I signed, I had also asked a question during his lecture. I had asked a question, and I told him that I was from Belgium, blah blah blah. And and he sort of had remembered this because when I get, came up to him and tried to sign my and and asked him to sign my book, he uh, I asked he said he asked me, so where in Belgium do you live? And I was like, he still remembers this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then we started sort of chatting a little for like maybe five minutes. And immediately he gives you this feeling like he's not more than you and he's, he's not this big star and he makes you feel at ease. And, and uh, you know, it's a normal, so normal talk like I'm having with you. It's, it's very, it was very easy. So of course I was very happy at that moment in time, but afterwards I even got closer to him because I set up the Sam Costar Institute and I visit, I, I met him about three more times on a very personal note. Um, talking for maybe between a half an hour and an hour. I also had a podcast, just like like we are having now, had a podcast with him where he was actually interviewing me and I thought that I was going to interview him. No, it was the other way around. Okay. 
So that was quite interesting. That was um, in 2015 or six. I, I should look it up. I, I sort of forgot about it. But that was so amazing that I could meet one of my ins biggest inspirators, you know, and also talk to him. And in the same period, I also met um, people like uh, Frederic Laloux. Mm -hmm. I met people like Jos de Bloch. I met other, other people that have inspired me, Walter Torfs and, and others, you know. That, and this gives you a view of, they are not, they don't want to be put on pedestals, mm -hmm. you know. They're just normal people having the same ideas and you're so like-minded that you have connections straight away. That's, that's yeah. how, and that's probably also what our connection is, Peter. Yeah. So that it doesn't but, differ. But for, for me, it's, it's, yeah, I have also that rebellious thing. Eh? I mean, I have a very difficult, I have, I have difficulties with command and control organization because I believe it doesn't work. Um, because the total is more than the sum of the underlying parts. Mm. Um, now, one of the things that I really uh, remembered of the documentary of um, Ricardo Sembler is that he said, don't try to be Semco number two. Exactly. Try to be your thing and be inspired, but don't copy it because you are not that. Mm -hmm. Is that then, is that then the, the biggest trap that a lot of organizations, because I've worked in a lot of organizations who have implemented it and they failed. Is that yeah. one of the things that you see as the biggest trap? Exactly. I think, I think one of the biggest uh, flaws that uh, companies who want to organize a transformation or want to sort of, re, let's say, evolve their culture, um, make one big mistake. They look for tools and they look for methodologies yeah and they look for um ways of how can we do this practically yeah mm -hmm. which is of course I, I can understand this because every, everything has to be structurized and has to be what they forget is the goal you mm -hmm. know so they make out of this this methodology or this this tool that they are using like social social yeah, so 3.0 or holocracy yeah. or scrum or whatever there is there yeah. They forget that this is only a tool. And they put this forward, uh, they put this uh, in front of them as the goal in itself. Yeah. So it becomes the goal. Yeah. But of course, this tool can never become the goal and that's what they forget. So that's why they also, they also sort of create a self-fulfilling prophecy in, in, in a lot of cases because a lot of managers have this feeling like, okay, maybe we should try this, but we're not really convinced. Well, if you're not convinced, you shouldn't even try it. Mm -hmm. So. They either do this, do this, have this idea like, okay, we're going to try it, but it's going to fail anyway. Well, then you create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you make it, you make yeah. it so that it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't yeah. work, right? But uh, that, but that's oh, we're going to do this as they make a hype of it, yeah. or they want to follow the hype, and then they say, yeah. oh, we're going to do yeah. self-management. They use a tool. The tool doesn't work for everybody, and then they say, oh, we'll, we'll demolish it because it's not, it's, yeah. it doesn't work. You know? Now, like a couple of years, it was really hip or trendy. And then to talk about sociocracy, and indeed, they, 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 it's a means to serve the organization, mm -hmm. and they made it the goal where they're going to force people. Mm -hmm. And then, but I also think that still a lot of managers or people are afraid, are scared to give away their ego and their power, and that they, yeah, you know the difference between power and force, and that's yeah, it's for a lot of people I see take away their title and they lose their identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is this is the whole thing about self-steering yeah. teams. It's the team which is steering. Yeah. Now it, I, I think, um, and I see this also. You know, I, I'm now giving trainings in in the National Police Academy uh, to the to the candidates who are, are becoming commissioners and head commissioners and, and head inspectors. Um, and we have been trained from the pyramid, right? From, from thinking like we, are, we have to be on top of people. We have to tell them what to do and how to do it, and micromanage and be in control of everything, have a good span of control because otherwise we will lose our, our power. Um, and it's actually, that's, that's what I keep saying also to, to, to these candidates and to everybody who wants to start even thinking about uh, having a transformation is that it starts with you. It starts with the person who wants to instigate this. Look in the mirror first. 
and tell, ask yourself if you want to be the best, if you can be the best version of yourself. Ask yourself a lot of questions. What do I really want? What is my mission? What are my values, my personal values? Uh, why do, what do I want to, uh, how do I want to serve? What is there that uh, society or, or the com my community needs that I can help towards? If that has, has the good answers, and you are convinced that that is what you want to do, that is, that is your passion, that, is what you, that's, that, that becomes your mission, your ikigai, the, the Japanese call it, then you can make a go of it. And still, it's going to be hard work, I can tell you. it. I, I've, I've done it, I've tried it myself, and I went flat on my face. Um, some things work and something, some things didn't work, and, and, um, you, but you learn from that. And the thing is, once you are convinced of what I'm just saying, your own ikigai, your own passion, your own, we can do this together. If you strongly believe in this, you never give up. Even going on your face, even having the most setbacks that you can have, um, you still never will give up because it's inside. It's part of you. It becomes part of, it's like playing, playing music, Peter. We both play music. So even I, I st started to replay, I started playing again after 13 years and it's still there. It's the in fire, my blood. fire keeps burning. And it's the same thing with, with this whole idea of putting people in, 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 their, in their own personal uh, strengths, making yeah, them uh, involved, making them engaged, yeah. you know? A, ma a, manifested, a manifested potential. It's manifesting the potential, but at the same time also, I really believe, and that's something I took from Jan Bomre, is um, the power is not only in the people, but it's in the relationships between mm -hmm. the people, an organization that can flow the energy can flow through the organization. And I think yeah. those two combined, then you have like a high performance team exactly. uh, where there is no fear, there is uh, no fake trust, um, but really people can be themselves. They can be emotionally, um, how do you say that? Yeah, safe. Yeah? That's the mm -hmm. term I learned from Google. Yeah. Um, and I think then, then you can really connect and engage with each other. And, and then you're like an organism instead of an organization. Yeah, true. Well, that's, that's the whole idea. And also that's, you know, you mentioned Jan and, and Jan became a good friend also because he was one of the first people I read a book about, you know, can you interrupt the Um And then of course the flow and, and doing business and, and flow and, or, or seeing the, the wood from the, from the trees and so Yes, 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 yes. It's all the same, eh? Yeah. It's about flow and it's about how you as a person can contribute to the bigger whole, right? Mm -hmm. so of course, when, when you have read, the, read these books, you are self-reflecting. You yeah. are re-looking inside yourself and finding this fire that is inside you, which burns in everybody. The only thing is that people keep it sometimes on, in a little flame, in a little waking flame, uh, and never start burning it. And you have people like us who really want to go for it, you know, sometimes even driven, driven and overdriven sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, but if you then have these books of, of Jan, who, is very who are very inspiring, and then you get the chance to meet somebody like Ricardo Summer or Frederick Lalou, who also talks about these three breakthroughs in Teal, who are, uh, who don't only speak about self-management, but about being part of the whole and being yeah able to be yourself what you are really yeah. worth yeah. Um, also having this this way of being able to have creative innovation you know and, and evolutionary um, purpose yeah. you know and being part of that it, that's what drives people yeah. what, I, what, I, what, I, what I was really fascinated about also Ricardo Semmer is that he not only applied that to uh, an organization, he even applied that to the school system. Mm -hmm. um, he said, why in the hell should people learn um, a lot of books by their heads if you can put it on a USB stick? Yeah. And he was like, and then he even went further. He applied it to a community, like a city. Yeah. So I found that that was really, it was not about the organization. He really went very, very far. I didn't know, I don't know at this moment where he's standing in that, but for some way, I really believe, yeah, I believe, I really believe in that. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, you're talking about the Lumia schools and, and Malos, of course. Um, and I asked them the same question the last time I met. I said, so how are your other projects going? You know, and Lumiere, the Lumiere schools are still there. Actually, his foundation is actually set up to fund the Lumiere schools. So that's, that's going quite well because the, the, you have to also understand the reason why, why he did this. You know, um, in, in, this, in the company Semco, which was very democratic, you know, one of the most democratic workplaces in, in the world, um, where people actually decide everything. Mm -hmm. um, so they got these people from university or from high school coming into the, the company and uh, waiting to be told what they had to do because that's what they thought was normal, right? Uh, so even when they were, like, say, even when they were taught or, let's say, told that, that this wasn't the way to do it and that they had to decide things for themselves, a lot of them stepped away and Ricardo sort of said how is this possible so he looked at the schooling system and then said okay if that's what it takes we need to go back to the first grade or even to the kindergarten yes for that matter right so he started the school Lumiar um, from the age of uh, basic basic school from the age of four to fifth to 14 where kids decide everything about their learning so they don't have the, the they don't have steady teachers telling them telling them this and this and this. They decide themselves on what what subject they will learn, um, and they have mentors. They have people who actually guide them, and they learn a lot themselves. Can you imagine a kid of four years old already deciding on what on what he wants to learn? Yeah. Of course, that's very basic at that moment in time. But as they grow older, they are very much uh, lucid enough to to yeah. know what they have what they are. What they need to 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 become smarter, you know, yeah. and then of course the the, the third the third uh, project was was uh, Malos. That's actually the village village where he where he uh, had his big hotel built, and also where he lives himself. So that's a, a bit in the in the middle of the Amazon, um, and I think that's the the hardest you know changing it or let's say transforming a society a little community um, is probably the hardest because what he also says is that you have to have a cut of society in any organization so there will be negativity there yeah. will be people who don't live up to expectations it will not always be perfect and in the community there's always like a bit of polarization as well no so yeah. Or, or jealousy or people have an envy towards each other and, and and that's probably the hardest part so it's still going but it's not as he would would have wanted it to to happen so yeah if you if you could go back in time like 10 years ago what, what would be your yeah the biggest lesson if you would redo it again in the organizations um, oh i let's say i um I wouldn't change a lot in that sense that maybe I um, I um, sort of try to combine my job with with being a with being a speaker and and doing all things next to that. Um, maybe I would have chosen chosen earlier to to leave my job and and go for it. Uh, but I was sort of part of the golden cage, if I can call it like that. Yeah, um, it's safe. And I only did it at a certain amount, in a moment in time when I couldn't actually make any other choice. Uh, because I had, in 2017, um, I had already had a lot of lectures in abroad, like in, in Sweden, in Germany, in France, uh, all over the place, Denmark, uh, Holland, uh, Poland, wherever. And I had taken a lot of days off for that. Yeah. yeah. So by half the year, all my, almost all my, my, my days off were gone. So my chief, chief of the police of Leuven told me, he said, I admire what you do, but you will have to make a choice. So I actually, of course I chose to become self-employed, but it wasn't enough structurized. And that's probably what I would do differently. Um, I sort of jumped, not knowing what was gonna happen. Uh, in the beginning, it was still okay, but after a while, I didn't have enough revenue, and it forced me to. Well, I also set up the San Costal Institute, which had the same problems. We didn't get enough revenue, maybe because the time wasn't right, 
Um, the interest was there in, in Flanders, but I think the time wasn't there or the budget wasn't there, which I, of course, can't understand. Um, a lot of people were very interested and said, oh, yeah, but we're in the middle of a reorganization, so we have to wait. And, and um, you know, financially, if you can't, if you can't sustain yourself yeah. it's, uh, at a certain moment in time, it stops. Yeah. I, am, I, am I sorry about that? Of course. I would have seen, I would have liked to see it differently. But then again, it, it gave me a lesson of, uh, I've tried it. I have, yeah. not, I have nothing to blame yeah. to, towards myself. And I could go back, luckily I could go back to my, my old job, well, let's see. And, and the lucky thing is, out of learning from that, I have now the opportunity to uh, teach my, my colleagues, uh, senior officers, you know, future senior officers, uh, the things about similar about about uh, teal about more more human centric uh, policy making etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean if you just talked about you mentioned uh, Walter Torfs uh, i remember that uh, Walter Torfs long long time ago he was a real male masculine uh, hard command and control manager and he completely switched to the human centric um, leader i would call him now um, do you do you believe that allee, he's one of them? And I also believe that uh, Durabrik, uh, Joost Kallas, is also another one. Uh, and I believe also Bospeens is another one. Mm -hmm. do, do you, allee, there's now three people. Do you see it's, it's going to flip? Or is, is, is the, the movement, the hype around it a little bit more, uh, slowed no, down? I, or? I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be, I think there might be a, a momentum at this moment in time that people will really pick up on this. Because see, you know, we, we were now forced to work from home. Mm -hmm. um, this means that a lot of managers will have had to let go of control. Yep. Unless they have um, put in place a controlling system uh, where people have to work from home and be on camera all day, for instance. But they no. do it, eh? there are companies who actually take a, take a screenshot for, of your screen every 10 minutes or they install spyware on your system. Eh? I mean, I would immediately resign, immediately. Exactly. exactly. That's more of the old school thinking. And um, that's, that's because people don't want to let go of control, or let's say artificial control, because they don't really have control. So you still have 10 minutes to spare, you know, and you, every, every person who has a bit of knowledge of type technology, there's a lot of things that people can do to, to to go around this, you know, and that's what people also will do if they are forced into that. So I'm, I've been working from home uh, since the beginning of the lockdown. And every day I sat at my computer, was busy making my, my because I have this internal um, yeah, I want to be, I want to do good, you know. And I think 90% of the people are like yes, that. Yeah, uh, me too, I'm convinced. So I think people like Walter Tors and, and Jos Collins and, and Jan Bosset can really be inspired or inspirers of other people looking at this and saying, maybe we should really look into doing things differently. Will, will the, let's say, the, the critical mass be reached? Maybe not yet, but mm -hmm. at least we have a momentum in time where we can really sort of push it a little and say, look, this is actually the time that we don't want to go back to the old days anymore. But I think also that there are a couple of things is that, uh, well, first of all, that after this period, when uh, people are allowed again to go back to work um, and the employer has pissed off the employees by not giving them trust and things like that, um, especially when you have small children and you have to work, it's quite challenging. I can assure you that, I mean, a lot of people, and I see that already today, they are applying for other jobs. They are searching mm -hmm. for other jobs. Mm -hmm. That's one. Um, second, I think also, and that's what you mentioned in the beginning, is that a lot of people are going to reflect and really ask themselves because there are no distractions. You are with yourself so and your loved ones, hopefully. So you, you think, what, what do I want in life? Who am I? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to trade my hours to for some kind of money for some kind of job that i really don't like and eh? you mentioned job the fire i think a lot of people were in a kind of survival mode and now they have the time to really discover is this maybe not for me or do i want something else and yeah. three 
if I look, and this is something I saw on other podcasts with the younger ones, eh, the, the millennials, whatever, mm-hmm. 23, 28, 28, all of them, they are very purpose-driven and they choose things they do on value. And mm-hmm. the money is a means and not the goal. And I yeah. think that's, uh, okay, you're turning 60, I'm 45. It's not exactly the same generation. But, I mean, I was really raised on, on, on security. Eh? Make sure you have a high a house and a good, a good uh, job and, and, think, and security, security, safety. Mm-hmm. Whereas these people, they are really more, no, you should go for the things that make you happy, that give you positive energy, that makes mm-hmm. some kind of impact on the world. And these three things together, I mean, if you want to keep and find new people um, and the good ones, I think this kind of leadership, new leadership is going to be the right way. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're not going to keep uh, or find the, the, the good people. Yeah, I think so too. In that sense, that especially the millennials and even the Generation Z, which is now coming onto the working market, uh, have different ideas on, on, on how they want to live their lives, you know? Um, and then indeed, it's like you say, money becomes something, okay, it's needed, but it's not the biggest goal in, in my life. I want to have a good life. I want to, ha- to explore things. I want to mm-hmm. travel. I want to see the world, etc., etc. Um, my generation, and still yours, but maybe a bit less than mine, I don't know, um, was really raised to have a good job. You know, I, I joined the police. I always say to my, to my students, uh, I'm an atypical commissioner. Um, because, or actually even an atypical uh, policeman, because just like you, I was a rebel, and laws, okay, they are there, rules need to be there, we have a society which is, of course, has to have structure, I am okay with that, Um, but I have a problem with rules for the rules, Mm -hmm. yeah, and yet I still chose to be in security, because my dad said, oh, you know, join the police force. It's a steady job. You have a good pension, blah, 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 blah. And I'm still part of that because I chose too late to, to search for something else. Well, too late, eh, between brackets. Um, now, these young people don't, but these, are, these guys are the future. So actually, if we're thinking, talk, talking about uh, people like Walter Torst and your scholars and all the other guys doing it, also Jeff Colbert, and, and there's, there's a number of people who are really, have imp- can have impact on, on businesses. Um, if they focus on this, this younger generation, that's when we can tilt the whole yeah. situation. And this, is, this might happen now. I, I'm maybe, and also, it's like the people from post-corona, they focused on the end of the lockdown. And I said, you shouldn't focus on the end of the lockdown. Look further than that, because yeah. it's not because the lockdown will be finished, First of all, it's going to take a while. It's going to be step by step by step by step. But we're also going to be confronted with the aftermath, which is going to be the financial problems that we will have. And psych- Everybody will have. And mental and psychological problems and mental, also. Exactly. So if we want to share these dreams and make them implementable, because that's, that's the whole idea about, behind the post-corona movement, we should focus on what really can be changed and not make it high, high in the sky dreams. That's okay. People can have that. That's wonderful. But they have to be realistic as well, because especially if we want to make them into implementable, otherwise we, we might or we could fear going back to the old days because mm-hmm. people are, change is very difficult yeah. for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, they want to. And, and actually, when you talk about Ricardo Sammler or Walter Torres, or Jos Collins, or other people who inspire others, they have also, well, I didn't know them before. I've only gotten, gotten to know them while they were already doing this human-centric way of, of doing things. Um, but I'm sure if they have changed their mindset, it had to do with something that happened in their life on a very personal level. Always, always. Same for exactly. me, eh? Same for me, eh? Yeah. Same for me. It's always, Alain. I'm not going to go into detail, but for me, and I think it's the same for you, eh? as a male, um, you raised by emotions are bad, and this is for girls and things like that. So you do everything from your head. And so this means also that yeah, you live from your head until you're going to see in personal relationships that <laughs> that is not working. If mm-hmm. you are going to discover also the fact emotions and your, the, the, 
the way the heart works, eh, living from the heart, which was 10 years ago or 15 years ago, something, it sounded crazy, but now it really resonates with me and there lies the, the real power, finding the path of what gives you positive energy, even if society thinks you're completely nuts. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think also for these people that it is the same thing because yeah, your scholars, eh, the, the vulnerable leader, kwetsbaar leader, mm -hmm. that's for me the same thing because vulnerability is some typical female energy mm -hmm. and something happened also there. Uh, so it's, it's always, so Jan Bommeret, from the inside to the outside transformation. So, um, so that's what I assume what happened. Yeah. And actually, you know, when you come to think of it, we talk about trust and about all these steel uh, human-centered values, you know, um, which is, for instance, trust is one of, one of the biggest ones. You know, that's also the basic uh, idea behind Semler, behind Semco Style Institute, mm -hmm. uh, is trust. That's the, the, the key word in a, lot of, in a lot of cases. Then you have respect, you have benevolence, you have integrity, authenticity, um, transparency, etc., etc. But if we talk about all these values, these values are also triggered and inspired in other people by vulnerability, by humility, not by boasting about your ego. Look at what's happening at this moment in time. I'm not gonna to go too deep in it. I could go on for an hour or maybe two hours if I talk, start talking about Mr. Trump. If he wanted to be reelected, he should have shown leadership and vulnerability and humility especially because now people are turning away because of his way of doing things you know he could have done this totally differently but people will start distrusting him because except for maybe the the, the diehards of course mm -hmm. you know um and you even have the diehard trumpists trumpies in in flanders you know you sometimes read the, the comments on on things that i go like how can you not see what's happening you know and this is the leader of the Western world, so-called. Mm -hmm. But he's, a make, he's making a fool out of himself for the whole world and because he has this massive ego. Mm -hmm. And if he would let go of his ego and become humble, the humble servant, that's it. What that's a president it. should be. I think, I think that's, that's the conclusion. If that's, that's for me also the thing. Eh? I think maybe 35, 38 years, I really, the ego was, was part of my, that was actually my identity. But when then I saw, I realized that my ego was nothing more than some, some conditions, um, which is something which can serve me, but it's mm -hmm. not the master because there's something more, which is me. And the ego is just come something that can serve me. Then and I don't need the titles anymore. I don't need to prove anything anymore. I need, don't need the big cars, the, the career and things like that. I'm fine as it is. And I don't need to be fixed and I don't need to compare anymore. And mm -hmm. letting go of all these fake identities. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's all, Peter, it's all artificial. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't say anything about who you are. Nope. And, my first lesson that I gave now in, in the beginning of March, we had the first lesson with the new candidates commissioner. Um, I started with saying, uh, okay, my rank is first commissioner, uh, but you can call me Erwin. And they go like, what? And they still keep calling me commissioner while I'm saying, no, I'm Erwin. Okay, this is my rank. This is something I, I studied for. I can be proud of this. But this is only for me. My proudness should only be for me. I, I'm okay with that I achieved this. I'm happy about the fact that I achieved this. I also get rewarded more because of this. So I shouldn't even boast about it. The fact is, being a commissioner or a manager or having this big function title doesn't say anything about you as a leader, as a person, as a human being even. Nope. Does it say anything about if you are um if you are if you have dignity enough you know if you have benevolence enough if you are a human being enough towards other people if you are willing enough to contribute to others to or to the you know to society or whatever and if it doesn't well then this whole function title means zilch yeah that's good and if you I drive a big car and have have yeah. a lot have a big bank account but as a person you are in, not not credible. 
And that's not at all. And that's the thing also I learned, and it's the same for you, when you play music, I mean, you play with people of all walks of life. Uh-huh. And they don't care if you're a manager or drive a big car. You enter there, are you a nice person? Can you work together? I think as a team, so this means as a guitar player, you don't turn everything onto 10 and you play the whole time. So you leave mm-hmm. space and you, and you let room to everybody play and you serve the song. Mm-hmm. Serve the song. And this is where I learned that is that in, in for instance, playing music, I mean, they don't care. They, they, I, most of the, the bandmates don't even know what I'm doing professionally. They don't care. You're the guitar player and the rapper. Give some show and and play and yeah, but you're laughing and so that's when you, when and is your next gig. When is <laughs> I want to come and see. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but normally it was the the hands of face and the, the but the thing is is that um, it also makes you humble. I find mm-hmm. because it detracts you from your micro bubble where you're in during the, your professional life and then you're yeah like a musician and then yeah you're, you're all the same and that's exactly. and that's when i realized that that was for me it's always the same it's the total yeah. it's more than some of the underlying parts and the power is in the relationships it's always yeah. in the relationships and it's that's what makes us one plus one is 11 but it's not about you it's not about me it's about you and me and the co-creation of it yeah. and it's the same it is the same for organizations and same for a music band very true. Ricardo Sembler was and is a guitar player. Eh? Yeah, true. And he also used the metaphor of his of his band. Yeah, I know. He used to play. The idea of this band actually triggered him to do things differently in his company. Because he said, we don't have a leader as a band. You know, of course, you have, let's say, more... If I look at my own band at this moment in time, um, the guitar play, player singer is actually the leader of the band, if you want to call it like that. Uh, because we all serve him. He has to bring the song as a singer and also do the guitar parts. He works in a factory. So it doesn't matter what, what he does in his life, but he's actually the leader at that point in time. And everybody can be a leader. So it's about also what Lalou calls this, um, this living organism as metaphor. Look at our, at our body, right? We are Erwin, we, uh, I'm Erwin, you're Peter, and we have our body. Is there a CEO cell in, in the top of our head looking down on all the other cells? No. Of course not. No. In a tree or in, in, a, in my dog that's sleeping at this moment, is there a, a CEO cell or a management layer who controls everything? No, because why? This pyramid that we have made of hierarchy is totally artificial. Yes. So what we need to establish is a sort of natural hierarchy of leaders based on expertise, yeah. based on knowledge, based on experience, not on function titles because it says nothing. I'm a criminologist, right? In, can I tell you honestly, what do I still remember about my, te- about my, my, my education as criminologist? Well, maybe some here and there, a few parts. And it has, it has made my let's say it has sort of uh, made a base for my thinking. Yeah, that's good, of course. But can, it, it's not about what you learn as a criminologist or a, or a lawyer or a doctor. Or a, it's what, we, what you do with it, which is much more important. And how you do it, you know, how you do it towards other people. And that's the only thing that counts as a human being is like, how do I relate to other people? That's yeah. what Jan Bomare says. It's about the relationships. It's yeah. about who we are as a person and what, how I can influence in a constructive, positive yeah. way other people yeah. to do good. Yeah. You know? One of my first initiatives that I did once I had these ideas was set up uh, the Pay It Forward movement in Belgium. I don't know okay. if you know Pay It no. Forward. No. But I know the principle, but I didn't know well, there was a movement. Uh, one of the things, it still exists in, 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 in theory, but we don't do anything with it anymore. And it's about setting up um, some events uh, like, okay, we are going to do this pay it forward principle um, and sort of try and instigate this in other people, try and inspire other, other people to do it. I can tell you, once I started doing this, doing acts of kindness, s- stupid little things of acts of kindness, kindness there's actually um, a chemical product that is released in your brain. It's called dopamine, which makes you happy if you have done something good 
for somebody else, even if you can't even afford it. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what happiness is about. Trigger your dopamine, yeah, your anger, uh, anger hormones. You know, <laughs> it's 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 all about serving. And if you get that, it's it's about serving. And if you understand that, that is really what propels you, gives you energy. Yeah. I mean, how far can you go? I mean, how much can you accumulate? Where does it stop? It doesn't stop. It's like that carrot in front of you. I will you will never be happy. And this is because we believe that once we have achieved some kind of success, whatever that definition of success is, we'll be happy. Mm -hmm. But it's just the other way around. And once right. you get that, yeah, then, then, the, yeah, then, then is everything is fine. Okay. Now, um, besides Ricardo Semler, besides uh, Frederic Lahoe, um, and all the others you mentioned, are there still role models that inspire you that, you, that we did not discuss on? Um, oh yeah, there's, there's so many, you know, <laughs> um, I have a big, uh, I have a good friend in Holland who is called, uh, René Kasselaar and he's a rugby guy. I mean, he's two meters tall and he's like massive, you know, he's like this wonderful teddy bear, but he's a rugby guy and he has implemented rugby insights inside his company saying in the rugby team, there is no leader. There is no, even the canteen lady just wants, has to, has one goal. We want to win the game and we okay. will do anything together to do, to win this game. So he has, he has a building company and he has sort of in his company to working together with other companies, building apartments and houses and whatever has developed this chain um, leadership, so to speak, where people actually pick up themselves when they are coming to, to, to do their bit. And they have, this is one of the biggest examples you can find, or let's say um, um, inspiring anecdotes, is that they built 43 apartments in 10 weeks time in yeah. this chain reaction. I can, I, you know, you can actually talk to big building companies here and say, okay, can you do that? 43 apartments that are actually livable in 10 weeks time. And he's, he's such, and also when he talks, you know, he's also, he also gives speeches and, and he's a wonderful guy. He's so, and that actually, that's where I found a common ground, you know, and there's other people also I've met, I, people you never heard of, you know, that, that's, that just do it. They don't write books about it. They don't come on YouTube. They don't, they, you can't actually find them, but yet you meet them in, in, in colloquiums or, or whatever, or, or events that you go to. And they are very inspiring because they share their, their ideas with you just because they love it, love doing it. Um, so these kind of people, and there's a lot, I, there's more than we think, there's more than we, than we know actually. Um, so of course you have the big examples and, and that's the, the people, some, I don't know, but people need big examples to sort of, oh, be in awe, you know? Yeah, be, yeah. The, these idols, yeah. Exactly. But it's actually just maybe the smaller names that, that actually can be the real inspirers, you know, just like René Kassler. He's like one of the biggest authentic people I know. Okay. You know what happened? One of my first lectures I, I, I gave, it was in 2011. Um, I, and that was in, in, um, in Leuven, in the environment of Leuven. Um, and in the morning, I was, I was still working in Ostend at that moment in time, but I lived in Limburg, so I had to travel, not every day, but I had to, I had to travel uh, between those two places. And in the morning, I got this telephone call. And there was this Dutch guy on the, on the other end and, and saying, asking me, oh, Mr. Mawalahem, you are giving a lecture this evening? Um, I said, yes. And it's about Ricardo Samler? I said, yes. Oh, I'm going to be there tonight. I come all the way from Alkmaar which is above Amsterdam. Yeah. So I'm going to make, uh, have a, a nice weekend with my wife in, in Leuven and in Brussels, but I'm coming to see your lecture. And this was René Kessler. He's a big shot inspirer himself, and he comes to listen to me. At that moment in time, I didn't mean anything yet, no? I, as a speaker, I mean. Um, and he was there, and he was so supportive, and so, and I was so amazed by this guy, and I just said to him, René, can you please come and, and 
share your 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 story with these people uh, yes yes but this is this is your lecture and i don't want to take away time from you and i said please do this you know i this is going to be very inspiring for the other people and so he did he talked for about 20 minutes and people were glued to his lips so was i actually it was like and since we, be, we became good friends we met a few times of course the distance doesn't help but we're still in contact once in a while asking how are you doing etc and this guy for me is is even more maybe than than the other the other people is very inspiring you know? okay cool now if you would go back edwin with a delorean back to the future and <laughs> you would meet so you're now turning 60 and you uh -huh. would meet the Evan who is 18 and he's going to start his studies what advice would you give him don't join the police force and do something else <laughs> <laughs> okay no maybe maybe do something more in what i know now of course no but um although i have no regrets because of course it wasn't my calling you know um but on the other hand you grow inside this this job you you know you, you do whatever you have to do and you grow inside it and i also also try to be urban inside the police force serving really serving even back in the in, in you know when i was 21 um being there for for the people maybe it was my calling but not not really my calling to, to join a, a, an institution that controls people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I tried to, to be, you know, I, I, for, a, for five years I was a motorcycle cop and motorcycle cops are known to give tickets, no? I had so few tickets that my, my commissioner told me, why are you not writing tickets? Of course, we have discretionary, um, you know, we, we, can, we can write at our own discretion, so that's, that's not a problem. He didn't tell me that I had to write tickets, but he was just asking, why do you, don't you write? I said to him, well, I tell people what the idea behind the rule is and why it's better not to uh, go against it, mm -hmm. you know, because they endanger other people maybe. So, so I said, well, I think people will grasp the idea behind it much better if I explain it to them in a very human-centered way then instead of writing a ticket and getting money out of their pocket. And I, th I, tr I truly believe that. So I, w I wasn't a very big cont contributor to the tax man, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it, it has made me who I am, of course. Yeah. You know? yeah. I ha so I have no regrets. I, w I, I, I don't think I would change it. I might say maybe start earlier with the whole idea of speaking and, and because uh, I only had this at a later age. And, and of course, although I performed, I, I started playing music when I was 28 and I, I performed quite a bit. Um, and, and sort of speaking in front of public is sort of yeah. the same. It's, it's like, you it's, know. It's, for me, it's the same. With a gig, no? <laughs> for me, it's the same. It's the completely yeah. the same. Exactly. It's, it's not just about words. It's also, it's a performance. Yeah. yeah. It's more than so, just playing the notes. You have to connect. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's a performance, so you have to give, uh, you have to make it a show. Yeah. So I think, I think I would say to the young Erwin, I would say start earlier with what you are, with your passion. Start earlier with your passion, because that, it's my passion, you know. Great, great. Now, Erwin, last question. Um, no, I have actually two questions. Within 10 years, who is Erwin? You're not going to say I'm retired. I don't believe uh, in that. No, not ever. <laughs> no, the thing is, um, I have mellowed in, in the last few years because I was very, when I started doing this, I was very driven and sometimes overdriven. And I sometimes pushed people away maybe by being overdriven, um, which, I, which I, of course, uh, realize and, and you learn from that. Um, when I entered the, the National Police Academy, uh, the director asked me, so when do you plan on going on a pension? And normally I can go on at 64, I think. Mm -hmm. So I still have about 44 years to do. I said to him, if I feel my, have, have my place here, if I can still do what I like to do as it mm -hmm. be in front of the classroom and, and educate people a little about what my insights or share my insights, not educate people, that's, some, some, that's a bit condescending. So, 
no, but if I can inspire people with what I'm, you know, have, have, with I, with what I have to share, I can do this until 67. I don't care. Um, and after that, why should I stop, stop doing that in public? You know, if, if other people would like me to come and, and share my ideas. So I don't think if you have your passion, there is no age. It's, I, look at, I look at Dr. Fauci, right? This guy is what, 74 or something like that? And he's still out there, you know. I have a lot of respect for this guy because no. he could be on a, he could be retired, and he says no. I'm look, I'm here for the people. Look, look at you, Catherine Bomberi. He was also on the podcast. Okay. Uh, he is now turned sixty nine because we have the same date, um, and so next year he's seventy. And he says, "I'm writing now my masterpiece." He's writing a new book about uh, so yeah, flow and freeze. But yeah. now it's about trauma, which is actually. So, which is something which is in trauma cannot flow yeah? and yeah. he's like this is all the trauma and all the fear and all the blockages and everything i had in my life and all the pain mm -hmm. all the suffering this is now the masterpiece the guy is turning 70. yeah yeah exactly yeah and and I, as i said he's he's a big inspiration i mean i know a lot of people who who, who know him who know him and he's still out there you know but he keeps he keeps very he keeps a very low profile. Well, he, it's it's, he it's says, he a it's, lot of it's, things. It's it's changing. It's changing. Um, he, um, well, of course, he is what he is. He is indeed a low profile guy. Um, and in Belgium, he is not popular. In in the Netherlands, he's huge. But he is now going to release his book in English because he really oh. wants to go global. Whereas okay. Flo, whereas flow, it's exists in English, but he's not happy about the about the version and i was like share this with the world Jan. i mean yeah. do it and he's like yeah 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 um because he's actually the neighbor of opera so i said next year you will be in the in the, in the couch of uh, opera but i mean i mean he's storing so he's he's turning 70 so mm -hmm. now very yeah. last question uh -huh. what is still a crazy dream but well, a crazy one eh? a crazy dream for you a crazy one eh? Maybe you can play bass at uh, Coldplay or U2. Um, what is a crazy dream? Oh, yes. Uh, well, you give me a good, good idea there because meeting uh, U2 or, or even Coldplay because Me I'm, I'm meeting, a big meeting, fan of them. Playing. Well, not, may, yeah, playing. That would be great. If, even if I could only play one song with them, that would be good. Uh, one, one is my, my favorite song of U2 and that would be great to play them with, the, with, with those guys, you know. Um, that's musically. Um, professionally, I would, I think, like to like to talk to um, two U.S. Navy captains. And actually, I've talked to one of them, uh, but only online and and via via messenger. Um, it's Mike Abrashov and David Marquet. And those guys uh, did a wonderful job in the U.S. Navy doing. Uh, as a captain, they turned around their ship in that sense, instead of following the rules of the hierarchy, and that there has been another example now just who was fired a few, a few months ago. Um, looking at their staff and, and leading by their staff, so to speak. So they turned around the whole idea of, of, of hierarchy and became the best performing ships and submarine in one case uh, in the US fleet, which is also, which is of course quite big. Uh, and those guys, you know, I, I to one I, I talked uh, briefly uh, because I wanted to invite him for, for uh, an event, but then it didn't, it didn't work out because it was too, too, too expensive. Um, but those guys have really, you know, especially within the public sector, they can actually tilt, help tilt the, the, the ideas that we still have in our, in our society. Um, so that's professionally and, and of course musically and that would be yeah, meet and play with you too, of course. Wait, have, hey. discussions, have, the, have discussions with Bono. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, thing, the thing is the, the similarity between, uh, of course it's a distant, uh, I, mean, I don't know the guys personally, but if I look at the documentary about Coldplay and about uh, U2, mm -hmm. it's the, the, the foundation of the band is actually the same. They split all the revenue by three or by four, 
by Coldplay, it's four, eh? Uh, or no, five actually. So there's one guy who is not playing anything, but he's actually behind the band and they consider him as a, as a, as a, as a band member. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for you too. And, um, and also if you look at, at Coldplay, uh, you, you think Chris Martin is like the leader, but he's not. He's not mm -hmm. the leader. They're all the leader. And it's that tension of these opinions who is going to create a great uh, band. Because at one time, I believed after the first record, they fired the drummer and they got another one, which was... They got him back, no? Yeah, they got him back because they missed the chemistry. And yeah. since then they said, fuck it, uh, we don't listen to, to the producer anymore. We're going to keep it like that. And I have such respect for that kind of mentality because I did it, to be honest. And yeah, I, I did it. I, I would let people go because I thought there were better people. And I learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. That it's not about the um, yeah the technical level of of a certain pe uh, person in a band. It's really about the, the the team leader and 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 being in the team and and playing towards the song. And it's about the chemistry. Yeah. That's the core. Exactly. That's also the story of of you too. No, I mean yeah. um, Adam Clayton wasn't the biggest bass player. Uh, Bono wasn't the biggest singer. Could said he he could play guitar and he could he could play nothing. So the actual the actual musicians were were uh, Larry Mullen and and, and the Edge, um, but they grew they grew together. You know, they were these young kids actually they were 16, 70 years old. So, but now look at them. He's he's turned sixty now, no? Mm -hmm. uh, a month before me, he turned sixty. So we're we're sort of generation companions. <laughs> um, but it's amazing. And oh, also maybe. To refer back to your question, what would Urban of 60 tell the guy from 18? Mm -hmm. Learn music earlier instead of waiting until you're 28. Yeah, that's, that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson. Aaron, I want to thank you for your time, your passion. I really enjoyed the conversation. My pleasure, Peter. And I wish you all the best on pri in your private music life and your professional life. And after Corona, we'll have a beer or something to drink. I don't drink alcohol, but okay. Well, me neither. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. It was, it was an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting Thank you. me. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Eh?